0: Bear down, baby. Yes up. Bears fans, this is Take the North.
2: It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. With your hosts, David Hawn.
3: I want to remind people, there is no award for Coming to the conclusion fastest on a quarterback in your football city. Nobody remembers, and frankly, nobody cares.
4: And Dan Wieter. Particularly in this town, we start to get the extremes trying to outshout each other, right? Those who think that he's a bust are trying to outshout those who think that he's going to be an absolute seven-time All-Pro. We're
0: going to take the North and never give it back.
3: Welcome to the Take the North podcast, episode 26, before Bears and Lions Sunday at Soldier Field. This is on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast, thanks for joining us. I'm David Hall from 670 The Score, the Mullen Hall Show every morning, 530 to 10, on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Dan Widerer from the Chicago Tribune covers the Bears, his 10th season on the beat. We will begin with the week, the aftermath of Justin Fields' ascension arrival, however you want to describe it, Dan. The Bears have a game on Sunday that, like it or not, to some people is winnable. Yeah. Lions come in here with the worst defense in the NFL. The Bears come in with an offense averaging 30 points a game the last three with a quarterback as explosive as any in the NFL. What's it been like this week at Hallis Hall?
4: There's been a, a noticeable buzz here and an energy here and an understanding that the offense has really found a groove, right? And now they want to stay in that groove. I think the energy in the outside world is amplified times a thousand, right? Like we, we've heard from all directions this week uh, where the Bears have become uh, sort of a national story again, temporarily because of what Justin Fields did last week and because of the attention that that brought from around the league to what it means for him, what it could potentially mean for this franchise. And you've got a a fan base here in Chicago that's so starved for success and so desperate to have a franchise quarterback that's legitimate that everyone has been just euphoric right, and giddy. And now it's trying to figure out uh, as I said on the radio earlier this week uh, how to get an electric fence around this right, so so that we don't get too far uh, out in front of ourselves or, or in, in different directions, it has been one that you mentioned. It's my 10th season on the beat. I don't ever remember a week coming off of a loss that has felt this way, right? There, there's, yeah, that's the weird part about the whole thing.
3: Well, it's the happiest two-game losing streak in NFL history, I think, and I think it may end on Sunday if things go the way they very easily could go. I, I mean, let's, let's get into that before we, we dive in a little bit more into some of the specifics of this week. Big picture-wise, you do have a big disparity – we alluded to it before we were started uh, th- this podcast, but outside of Chicago, we interviewed Mike Florio, well-respected <laughs> you know, pro football talk as, as anybody who covers the game. He's got strong opinions, but he talks to a lot of people. Part of our conversation on Tuesday's Molly and Haas show revolved around the idea that if the Bears win this game, as a lot of people expect them to win, they are favored for a change. They're four and six, and Mike thought that Uh, they might be in the hunt, as they say, back in the playoff picture. I don't think so. (laughs) I don't believe that either or as well, but there will be some of that, Dan. And I also think that that's interesting, but it's going to be telling to see how the bears handle the mini success as absurd as it sounds of having played well during this two game losing
4: streak <laughs> handling the success of the two game losing streak right it's a weird state that we're in right now the playoff talk is absurd to me and i we you know it's just i i didn't hear the pushback to florio's assertion i didn't hear anything more than the the clip saying hey they could be in the the mix for for the wild card here and when the nfl installed the seventh seed in each conference. I thought it was the dumbest idea in the world because it creates conversations like this. It's great for the NFL because these conversations turn the needle, right? And and, and they make people stay actively involved and interested in things that they probably shouldn't be actively involved and interested in. Uh, This is not a playoff team. In order to make the playoffs, you're going to have to win at least eight games, probably nine. I don't think that you can find six more victories on the Bears schedule. You would also have to win multiple games in a row at some point, which I'm not sure this team is going to do at any point. Their schedule is really tough beyond the next two weeks. Obviously the lions and Falcons give them a chance to revive some of that hope, but you still got to play the Eagles. You still got to go to New York to play the jets. You still got to play the, the the bills. You still got the Vikings on the schedule. Aaron Rodgers is a guy who you haven't had the most success against during your time here. So that chatter is, is it's absurd. That's the, that's the only word I can go to. Uh, we can have that conversation. Um, but the people that are having that probably need to go get drug tested.
3: I understand. And I will, this is as far as I would go and I don't think it's really even taken a leap. I do agree that the bears could end this season with double digit losses and feel better about this season than they did when they made the playoffs and lost in the
4: opening game to the saints yes that be a reality oh a hundred percent that was the one of the uh most undeserving playoff berths in history <laughs> right because that team didn't play well the entire year even when they were five and one they weren't playing well and we all knew it was a house of cards that was going to collapse at some point and then it collapsed and then they got a a short three-game heater against terrible opponents in december and they tricked everybody into thinking that they were a championship team again and then what did it do david it, it brought back guys uh that didn't deserve to be brought back and and kind of put the bears in this predicament that they're in now where their developmental arc for Justin Fields now is obviously on a good track but it took us a long time to get here right and and part of me this week asked myself could this have been you know seven starts into Justin's rookie season if he had been with a team that was designed to let him be the focal point of developing right last year they went into 2021 with Andy Dalton trying to save the job of Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace and, and so all this got discombobulated and so some people say just scratch out justin's rookie season it didn't really happen it doesn't really matter and now here you are you have him here in his second season hitting this up uptick and you say how much different would the mood have been had he been able to experience some of the success as a rookie it's a it's a it's a strange you know time machine question that you'd have to go get the michael j fox uh, delorean to to go answer but but it's it's certainly fodder for for conversation
3: i have thoughts on that i want to get into as we take a deeper dive into justin fields in the week after his uh, NFC Player of the Week performance last Sunday. So let's get into it with our opening drive. It's time for the opening, the opening drive. So you, you raised a really good question, and I think it's a, it is a, a very interesting conversation. I, I'm a believer of this. Not always, but mostly in sports, you've got to fail to succeed. Oh, yes. When you fail, it makes your success not only more satisfying, but I also think more likely. So very rare are the examples where guys come into the league like you are suggesting Justin Fields last year and he has immediate success after five games. He is the guy and they turn turn everything over to him like they did this season. So I think last year in the big picture of his career and his development is important that he did hopefully – bottom out that was not a really good he he may have bottomed out this year but I don't think he's finished the season with the arrow pointing up I think he finished the season struggling that you didn't know what you had it was uneven so let's go to this season this season I think again you start out and he the, the descent was was uh, consistent with what we saw last year. And and Dan, as we do this here tonight, it's Thursday night and we're getting ready to anticipate the weekend, but it was only four weeks ago yeah. that the bears scored seven points against the Washington commanders at home on national television. And people concluded around the league that Justin Fields might not be the guy. And yep. there was a discussion about whether he was closer to boom or bust and it just shows you that you you have to be as patient as as I think that we have, we have been trying to be here <laughs> that as you know, you can, things happen quickly. So now the overreaction then was he's headed in the wrong direction. He's a bust. And this time I think he's the arrows pointing up, but I think the season will end that way, but everything needs to be with some perspective because I don't want to go into the lions game. As I think we're going into the lions game collectively Uh, And wondering how will the bears handle the success and the uh, euphoria locally over this quarterback? How will it affect him and how will it affect his team?
4: Yeah, I, and these are all relevant topics, especially as, as we talk about this. Because as you mentioned a month ago, you know there were the chatter was that, that what if Justin Fields turns out to be a bust? Now, as you mentioned, people in Chicago are trying to get the sculptors to start making his bust for Canton, Ohio, <laughs> right, <laughs> and getting getting him into the Pro Football Hall of Fame before the season's over. And, and look, like winning is ultimately going to become part of this formula. It has to be. You have to be able to to win games, and that's something we can talk about in a couple minutes, just in terms of the value of that and the necessity of that as we proceed through the final two two months of the season with the developmental curve. Luke Getze spoke with us today, Thursday afternoon. And, and Luke is, is level-headed of an observer and a critic, as you're going to find in, on the Justin Fields topic. And so I, I started the, the, the press conference with Luke by asking, and Luke, listen, like you usually give it to us straight. What did you see in Sunday's performance. And he said, there was, there was some good, right? Like he he called the miraculous plays, unbelievable plays that Justin made. And he said, there's also a lot of bad. He was very quick to point out the interception that Justin threw that was obviously negated by offsetting penalties, but that's a coach talking there and going, Oh my God. Right. Like we're in the second half of a game we're trying to win. And you just make a bad decision and you give them a gift. And we get lucky because the referees give us a break and we get offsetting penalties and we get to redo the down, but there are mistakes within this performance that need to be uh, highlighted and, and, and looked at He was, even almost critical of the 61yard touchdown run to an extent while saying that it was magical and we'll listen to his full res- response to that in a minute but saying that like look like he had hoped from a coaching perspective that Justin had kept his, his shoulders perpendicular line of scrimmage a little bit longer had been a little bit quicker with his climb in the pocket and hit darnell Mooney for what would have been in his mind a 15 to 20 yard gain on third and four which for a offensive coordinator and a quarterbacks coach that's that's growth right that's okay within our offense you just converted a third and four with a pocket Rocket surf and a a well-timed dart to your favorite receiver for 20 yards. Justin instead, obviously, mistimes it a little bit, takes off, goes on the run and creates the highlight play of the year. Right. And so now this is what you're dealing with here in Chicago, where it's like, okay, this guy's got that potential. He can turn nothing into something in a heartbeat. But the coaches still want to harp on this is how this play should have run, et cetera, et cetera. And so there's going to be a lot of that here in the next eight weeks that we got to go through as well.
3: There's got to be structure before he can create chaos. And that's kind of what I heard. Yeah. You still want to be within the framework of the offense. You can't rely on these plays to break down so you can move forward. (laughs) Yeah. As as crazy as it sounds. I mean, when when I heard Getze talk uh, at the podium at Hallis this week, it was – consistent with the way that he always has been. He's not carried away with the NFC offensive player of the week with the, the the compliments from people from uh, everyone around the league, evaluating the quarterback from Mike March's flip. uh, So (laughs) dramatically that he probably pulled a groin muscle because (laughs) doing the verbal gymnastics of changing his direction. But anyway, gets took it back to last April. I love the way that he did that because he sounded like a coach that wasn't terribly surprised by a lot of what he's seen because he said, it's a accumulation of preparation and that Justin Fields has always been the guy that has put in the work. And now he's realizing maybe the benefits of that. So gets uh, from, from what I heard from him today was as grounded as ever.
4: Yeah. So, so let, let's get to the audio for a second, because he did react to, uh, that magical play, the 61 yard touchdown run. And then a, a follow-up question about how Justin's been settling in over the last couple of weeks. And that was uh, some telling comments there. Let's take a listen to Luke Getze.
2: Yeah, honestly, it was, it was like, like, holy cow, with with like, not that type of talk. You know? <laughs> and that was, uh, it was a pretty unbelievable play. Um, as you review the film, he probably should have just been a 15 or 20 yard completion to Mooney. Um, you know, just the way he slid up in the pocket. I want to see him keep his shoulders a little bit more perpendicular to the line of scrimmage and rip the ball. Um, but you know, he, he he was he was headed there. He just got there just a tick late because he sh- he squared his shoulders, uh, and then it turned into like an unbelievable play uh, after that. But yeah, once he he got to a certain point, I saw Mooney in the, in the position to be able to cut the guy off. I was like, there's no way that anybody's catching that guy. So it was co- pretty cool. Have you noticed a difference? In, have you noticed- What's the difference in him, uh, as far as just settling in now that he's had some success? Maybe just a little bit. No, I, 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 this is an honest statement. Every game, from game one to game two to game three, yes, the answer is yes. It just, it's just it's natural. It's the way he works and the, the mindset he has, the competitor that he is. He's just gotten more comfortable, and so we still have a long way to go, though.
4: So, David, the other notable thing that we heard from Luke Getze today, which I loved, was that, you know, there's been a lot of talk about all the adjustments that the Bears made during the mini buy, right? That sparked this three game uptick in offensive production. And, and he's been very measured in saying, like, pump the brakes on thinking that that was some sort of landmark, significant moment in the development of a franchise, that it was just really a, a chance to take a, a deep breath, to zoom out, to continue looking at the offense. But really, to what you mentioned just a couple minutes ago, that this is all just a, a growing process and a climate. Up the hill since April, you go from April to May to June, then you get into training camp, and you're just building and you're growing. And I thought Luke said, like he said, look, this is this isn't Space Jam. You're not taking a drink of Michael Jordan's special water, and and all of a sudden, you know, <laughs> you're doing magical things and cartoon like things. It's just a, a progression of a quarterback and the guys around him becoming more comfortable with one another, more comfortable with the offense that they're running, gaining more experience, getting confident with what the plays are supposed to be doing. And then all of a sudden you get success that builds on success, which builds on success. And so here we've had this three-week uptick where they've scored 94 points and now uh, have another opportunity Sunday to, to, to score some more against an opponent that that's going to give them some opportunities.
3: That's true. And when I heard that part of what he was saying, though, I, I think that we all have heard enough coach speak, and this is the way I interpreted that doesn't want the bears necessarily to be ravens west or midwest doesn't want justin fields to always be compared to lamar jackson or deshaun watson or to josh allen who other quarterbacks who's who's you know certain plays now is being reported they were talking about and incorporating into the bears playbook during that mini buy I understand why he would want to make clear that this is not anything that dramatic or different than what they've been doing all along, because this is our offense and this is our quarterback. But, but Dan, I mean, common sense, when you watch the bears, there, there were never as many, designed runs. There certainly wasn't as, as much of a comfort zone in the way that they have called games and, and leaning into that. And maybe Justin Fields just arrived at the same time, but whatever happened, whether it was copied from the Ravens and copied from the Texans and copied from a, a compilation of of plays that you borrowed, that mini buy did reset this offense in a direction that is a positive one. And I understand why he want to push back a little bit, but come on. I, I think that what that that's when he was talking and I was like, what you're saying doesn't match what we're seeing. And typically, that's not the case with Luke Getz.
4: Well, I uh, see, I would disagree with that because I don't think that there was a whole lot of borrowing, right? Like the the, the Ravens storyline has kind of blown up when the Bears basically took one quarterback run that they saw the Ravens run and, and implemented it. And then Justin made a comment about it. And then it was like, oh, they're, they're stealing everything they've done. I think they've had an offensive system here that they've been building on. And, and they needed to get more experience and more uh, comfort and, and familiarity with everything to, con- to continue getting the concepts that they wanted to get to. Now they're getting there, right? And now you've got a quarterback again who's playing with a level of of comfort and confidence that's that's notable. And now you got to keep going. Look, like we came out of New England, and I said this was a, a, a terrible timed uptick for the Bears because they, their next game was at Dallas against Micah Parsons and Dan Quinn and Trayvon Diggs, and they were going to have a hard time replicating that. Well, now now they've replicated it a couple weeks in a row, and now it's perfectly timed because they're welcoming the Lions to Soldier Field. The Lions are are. 29th in the league in, in passing yards allowed. They're last in the league in passing yards allowed per play. They're last in the league in total yards allowed. If your offense can't get going Sunday, uh, then you then you're taking a step back. And so this is a, a a springboard moment. And it's a springboard moment that they're they're going to arrive at with Justin Fields having a running start from the last three weeks. And so now all of a sudden you, you go to Sunday and you understand this is a home game also against a two and six opponent. That like if if the if Justin Fields' fever was what Justin Fields' fever was this week, imagine even if they win a game by eight or nine points you know right like this the, the thermometers in the city will break because the fever will be so high
3: well that will be the next test is how how do the bears handle real success and not just manufactured uh success or enthusiasm over the fact that they've he's played really well in games that they have lost and when you play in a team that in a defense that gives up 417 yards a game <laughs> and 29 points you really should take advantage of that playing as well Uh, as as this offense has been playing in the last three weeks.
4: Yeah, and so the head coach of that team, Dan Campbell, obviously has fielded some questions on Justin Fields this week. And it's always interesting to me because like, we know what the reaction inside Chicago is going to be. We know what the reaction inside this building is going to be. It's nice to hear from opponents and get their perspective on what they're seeing from the outside and what Justin Fields is doing. We documented some of that after the Dolphins game on Sunday. Here was uh, uh, Dan Campbell this week when asked about uh, trying to, to figure out ways to defend Justin Fields.
1: I think you got to use a little bit of everything. I mean, really, you know, um, I mean, I, I think there's a place to spy. I think there's a, a place to pressure. I think there's a, a place to um, to really play more coverage and keep everything in front of you uh, and then rally to it. So I, I think it's all-encompassing, and, and a lot of that will have to do with third down, which will come tonight, tomorrow. Um, but... You know, I, I think there's there's no easy answer to playing this guy because you see it all over the tape week after week. Um, but, you know, it, it's uh, it's certainly something that we're, we're preaching and it's the cast the net, close the net. And man, we, you talk about you have to be as unselfish as, as you've ever been as a rusher against this guy on third down because it's. You give him even a crease. Um, you get pinned in the A gap, he rushes high upfield, your defensive end and the B gaps open, and now look out. Uh he's got a lot of grass and he can run. So that's a, you know, obviously
3: he's talking about using a spy on Justin Fields and the Lions defense. If they're coming in, you know, ranked last in the league in the key categories, they are coming in with as much momentum as they're gonna have. They have the NFC defensive player. In the, of the of the week with the safety Kirby Joseph the rookie yeah. picked off Aaron Rodgers twice so he's yeah. not going to be phased by Justin Fields and his uh heroics but but I, I look at it this way when I hear coaches talk about this and I see it kind of unfold unless your spy is Micah Parsons or some amazing athlete that is you know generational talent I think it's a bad idea you're asking for trouble you're 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 wasting one of your eleven on one guy who may or may not be, you know, uh, used at that that play to run or I, I just think that the Bears would want to invite that. They would want to welcome having them spy Justin Fields because it typically I, I, I'd like to see the metrics on this. It doesn't always work as well as in, is intended. So if they want to do that, I think that would be a sign of desperation.
4: You need Brian Urlacher, right? You remember the days yeah, of, of like Urlacher that, yeah. trying to spy Michael Vick and, and he was fast enough to do it and do it successfully. And so you do need somebody that, you know, there was a couple moments the Dolphins tried it and Justin just outran the spy and you're like, well, that was a waste of a defender, right? Like if that guy can't catch him, then what's the point? It was also interesting to hear from Campbell, him bringing up third down, right? Like that's, that's what this league is about in a lot of ways. And you hear, you spend enough time in this league, as you know, David, and people will tell you that the quarterbacks make their money on third down and in the red zone, and then they become superstars in the last two minutes of games, right? And so let me give you the numbers on, on the red zone and, and third down in the last few weeks, because the Bears came out of that Washington game and they were reeling. You remember what the conversations were and, and how much the struggles were. Well, then they go uh, to new England and they hit on 11 for 18 third downs, go to Dallas hit for six for 15. and come back against Miami and go 10 of 16 on third down inside the red zone. Two for four against New England, four for six against Dallas, three for four against Miami. And so you have an offense now that is meeting those money moments, right, and and succeeding in them. A lot of times it's Justin with his legs making something out of nothing and and converting third downs with a scramble that that moves the chains, that frustrates the defense, that keeps the scoring drive allowed. But then there's that other part of that conversation, right? And this is one that I think you and I have to continue to harp on to keep that electric fence around the, the Justin. Justin Fields' hysteria, it's how do you go about winning, right? Like, how do you go about winning, like finding those moments to win games? And the Bears now have had three games where they've had the ball and a chance to, to do something with it, failed in Minnesota, failed against the Commanders, failed against the Dolphins. And so it's time now for Justin Fields to take that next step, to find that situational execution down the stretch of close games and become the quarterback that wins games, right? Like doesn't just go along for a ride and put up some nice numbers. And we all celebrate because they scored 32 points in a loss. How about getting it over the hump and being the quarterback that leads a victory, right? Like Patrick Mahomes went in that AFC playoff game last year against Josh Allen and said, Oh yeah, anything you can do, I can do better. Right. And then they went on. And they yeah. went on, yeah. So right. those—that's the next step. I mean, right? Like, if, if we're trying to 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 get out of crown and uh, and and proclaim stardom, like let, yep. let's see victories. And, and and I think that's an important thing, uh, not only for Justin, but for this entire building culture. You know, this team that wants to, to 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 raise itself to a higher level, winning's got to be part of that.
3: Before we move on to the numbers game and our predictions, uh, I thought Justin Fields at the podium this week when he had a chance to speak about everything going on and swirling around him and the honor that he got the NFC Offensive and player of the week, which is I think the first time since Mitch Trubisky won it in uh, 2018. I think that was the last time a Bears quarterback won that same award. Dan, I think that he's handled things probably as well outwardly. As, as anybody in the building, as anybody in the city, he does not seem phased by this run of success. He looks like somebody who's going to go out Sunday with the same type of approach, but also with the same inner confidence that he knows that, hey, if they do try a spy, if they do try to play man coverage, if they do you know get me in a box, I'm going to escape out of it. And he doesn't seem like a guy rattled or affected much by the celebrity swirling around. No,
4: no, no. Justin has an assassin's mindset and he's cold-blooded in that regard. And that's something that's going to serve him well his entire career, right? Like that's a tool that you use in moments like this to be like, look, like I, I've got I've got to be a killer, right? And, and winning offensive player of the week honors in a losing effort doesn't do anything for me. I want to be better. I want to be the best and I'm going to continue to come to work with my head down and do what the coaches ask and grind and try to get the most out of myself. I've joked on your radio show, you were uh, missing on Wednesday in, uh, with, with Mike Mulligan and Zach Zaidman, I said, Hey, you guys can do the, you guys can do the research on this, but go back and see. Uh, I, I think this is true that every player that's won NFC offensive player of the week honors has gone on to win the super bowl. And they didn't say anything. I said, I'm joking, of course, but that's kind of the reaction here in Chicago is that, like, <laughs> right, like, you know, Daniel Jones won Offensive Player of the Week honors earlier this year. Marcus Mariota won Offensive Player of the Week honors. Like, so let, let's keep it in perspective. Let's celebrate it the way it needs to be celebrated. Let's understand it was a really, really promising uh, breakthrough performance, really was uh, against the Dolphins. And now, let's string it together. Let's, let's make the month of November better than the entire month of October. And then let's go into December and see what you can do there.
3: Mariota and Daniel Jones at I think you just named the Pro Bowl uh, quarterback for the <laughs> NFC uh, when they name
4: that team later this year.
3: Every week, Dan, you have a package on ChicagoTribune.com this week, no different, good stuff. What are the top three numbers you want us to look at?
4: Well, the first set, I'm going to pair two together because I think this is important. Uh, I'll give you 94, and that's the points scored by the Bears in their last three games. They have jumped up in that time span from 31st in the league to score, in scoring to 21st, a leap of 10 spots with this outburst the last three weeks. The Lions, by contrast, David, 48 points in their last four games. They had been averaging a league-best 35 per game through their first four games and now have gone from first in the league to 12th. So the bears were at 31st, the lions were at first and now they're kind of starting to to climb and meet in the middle at 21st and 12th. That's an interesting one uh, for two offenses that are going in different directions.
3: It is because I think you go into this game. There's so much focus on Justin Fields and so much focus on the bears explosion in terms of points and yards and it overlooks and it kind of has gotten forgotten. Jared Goff, has been pretty efficient. This offense, uh, the Lions offense, is one of two in the NFL, I think, ranked in the top 10, both in rushing and passing. And you can't really look at that and ignore it, especially with the Bears defense that tends to be uh, easy to score on.
4: Very nice segue into my second number, which is zero. That's the number of combined sacks and takeaways that the Bears had against the Dolphins. Just the seventh time in the past 10 seasons. It did happen last year against the 49ers. But to go an entire game without either a sack or a takeaway, that is not Chicago Bears defense the way it is meant to be played in the traditional sense. The Bears also, David, over the last two weeks, defensively have allowed 10 touchdowns which is unexcusable, right? Like they've, they've given up 84 points, 70 of them on defense. They've given up a special teams touchdown and the Micah Parsons fumble recovery, but man, to go an entire game without a sack or a takeaway. And then they have a two week span where you've given up 10 touchdowns, pull the alarm on that because it's, it's time to at least break the glass and be ready to pull the alarm because it's time to worry a little bit about
3: Jared Goff has 14 touchdowns, seven interceptions. And indeed the lions are ninth and rushing eighth and passing. Only the Eagles are better in both categories in the top 10. You're right. When I heard Alan Williams talking about what was going wrong and being asked incessantly about what has happened, I almost felt a little sorry for him because he's trying to take responsibility. I need to put him in better situations. And he's trying to reinforce this idea of the scheme that it does actually work when you have players. But there's no mystery here. There really is no gotcha moment. You're going to back <laughs> him into a corner and say, ah, ha, 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 I know now what's gone wrong. The Bears lack talent up front, and they're the yes. front seven. This is going to be something that is redundant both on the field and when we're talking about it it's in the microphone. This is not a front seven you can trust. This is not a front seven to be feared. And nothing's going to get better about that in the final half of the
4: season. Look, and it's why I think that there's a major challenge here for this coaching staff, right? Because you came here with designs on establishing an undeniable identity particularly defensively, and it's going to slip because you just don't have the horses to make that identity stick. Alright, my last number in the numbers game is 329. That's the number of receiving yards for Darnell Mooney in four career games against the Lions. He had two 100-yard outings last year against the Lions. His first career catch came against the Lions in the first game of the pandemic season in an empty Ford field, a 19-yarder from Mitch Trubisky. I remember it vividly because the coaching staff was saying, man, we're really eager to see what this kid does when the lights come on and and, and whether he's up to, to play in NFL football. He has been and he's played some of his best football against the lions first 100 yard game was in week four last year 125 against the lions eight weeks later he comes back with 123 more yards against the lions so as the bears offense continues to grow darnell mooney should continue to grow obviously scores his first touchdown last week on that pretty ball from justin fields and now you've got a chance to build on that and so so let's see if mooney feels real comfortable and uh, real confident in in familiar surroundings against the lions
3: I'll be very curious to see how Jeffrey Okuda plays for the Lions. Somebody who came into the league with a lot of fanfare, high expectations didn't quite live up to them. I think he's <laughs> having a little better year this year. Joseph coming off his two interception game against the Packers, That secondary. I think that they could probably be tested, but I, I am curious if they're playing with a little bit more confidence. I also want to see with Mooney and his success historically against the Lions how Chase Claypool continues to make you know a, him a little bit more open yeah, <laughs> right. take a little attention away from uh, Darna Mooney because despite the numbers and his status as a number 1 uh, number 1 receiver on the Bears Chase Claypool is going to be somebody they have to account for as well another year or I'm sorry another week in the system another week at Halos all more comfortable and also probably more dangerous.
4: Yeah, and David, Claypool doesn't only take attention away from Mooney, he takes work off his plate, right? Because now Darnell doesn't have to play all these different receiver positions because they've got a guy that can fill that role, and now you can put him in positions to do less, but produce more, right? And so I think that's going to be interesting to monitor in the next month or so, because that's something I think the coaching staff feels really good about, that they can, can open things up more for Darnell Mooney by taking some things away from him and, and not asking him to do so much just out of necessity.
3: All right, let's bring in Adam Studzinski, because it's time to give you our predictions. Let's start with studs. What do you think this week's studs? winnable game?
0: Oh yeah. This is an extremely winnable game. And, and I, I won't rant too much because I, I, I consider the Vikings to just be largely irrelevant, but it really was weird <laughs> to me coming into the year. How a lot of people, it, this happens every year with the, with the hard knocks teams, right? They get a lot of hype and say, Oh, the lions could do something. And one of my bedrock principles watching the NFL is the Lions suck until they prove otherwise. <laughs> and they suck. So, yeah, this is a really winnable game. I got the Bears winning 32-22. to 22. I think that Jared Goff is – I know he's put up some nice numbers this year, but I think he's going to be the difference in the game. Justin Fields in the offense, they're going to keep doing their theme. The Lions defense is literally the worst in the NFL by yards and by – you guys have talked about – by yards and by points they've just been awful this year. Don't let the nine points against the Packers last week fool you. Aaron Rodgers threw three picks in the red zone. One of those was tipped. So they moved the ball pretty well. Other than that, the Packers did. So if the bears, this is the first time in a month that if the bears don't win the game, I'm actually going to be since the Washington games, the first time since the Washington game, the bears don't win. I'm going to be a little disappointed because I think they have, if you go down the roster, player by player, position by position, it's probably largely even until you get to the quarterback. And I think right now, Justin Fields is the more dynamic, better quarterback. And I think that'll be the difference in the game. Jared Goff is probably going to turn it over a few times. And I'm going to do it again this week. Eddie Jackson pick six. I'm going to keep saying it will happen.
3: Adam, football fan hypothetical. You walk into a sports bar. It's fairly empty. Dan Campbell is at the bar. <laughs> you sit next to him
4: or on
0: the other side. Oh, that's a good question. I'll probably sit next to him. He seems like a fun guy to to drink a beer with and watch a game.
4: Follow-up question. Do you share with him your bedrock principle of following the NFL? No, I'll probably keep that to myself. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. If you're gonna do that, sit on the opposite side of the bar and have an exit yeah. real close by. Yeah. I gotta respect a good grudge.
3: Yeah, the Lions are gonna Lions at some point every year, every every game. Right? That's that's gonna be the case.
4: Yeah. It's stunning, right. David. And as bad as the Bears are, I mean, the Lions' futility is is unmatched. It really is. I, their last playoff victory sometime in the '90s. You know, every time we go up to to Ford Field, it feels like the Bears pull something out in the end, right? Like Andy Dalton wins a game for you on Thanksgiving with a late touchdown drive in the COVID year. There's a, DeAndre Swift's got a game-winning touchdown pass that he drops in the end zone. It just feels like everything they can do to lose, they do to lose. 3 and one in the Dan Campbell era and games decided by one score. So uh, keep that in the back of your head f- for Sunday afternoon. I've got a list as a one-score game, but I have the Bears 27 The Lions 20. I think the offensive production continues, at least to a level where they can get out ahead a little bit. And then the defense holds a a mediocre Lions offense down a little bit.
3: I I think the Bears best defense against the Lions offense is the Bears offense, if you can follow that. And it's not hard to because that's the way the Bears have been playing defense, ball control. And, And I do look at the Lions giving up almost 150 yards on the ground as another invitation not just with Justin Fields, making people look silly when things break down or on design runs. But I think you're going to see production from Khalil Herbert. You're going to see production from David Montgomery. And I think this offensive line can control the line of scrimmage to the point where the bears will get the running game on track. They'll set up the play action passing game, and then you'll get your dose of fields, you know, fabulous, fantastic runs that, that make everybody, you know, Gobsmacked on Sunday <laughs> afternoon. And so next week's going to feel very much like this week, except for I think the Bears will win this time and everyone's going to have to figure out what do we do? They're four and six. Are they in the hunt or not? 31 21 Bears over Lions. I am going with the 10 point margin as well, Adam. It's unanimous. Yeah. Sweet. I think we have a unanimous decision. That might be the first time all year we've all three picked the Bears.
0: I think we all picked the Bears against Houston, Washington. maybe. Oh, yeah. I maybe Washington, Washington too. Yeah, well yeah. yeah, well yeah, it's either way, it hasn't happened much. No, I picked the, I picked the commanders because remember oh, I was very yeah. worried okay. I was yeah. very worried it about was, the berries on a short week. That's right. It was Houston then. We definitely I'm pretty sure we all picked the berries against Houston.
3: All right. We all have the same uh, outcome. We do have different scores. Let's move on to our final segment, the two minute drill. The two minute drill. The two minute drill. We don't have to get through so many things too quickly, Dan. I do want to cover a couple of things in in a little more detail. I think it's interesting this week. We have gotten this far um, in the podcast and haven't mentioned one of the more dynamic rookies uh, in the league. First overall pick Aiden Hutchinson, who had a pick himself against Aaron Rodgers, kind of a deflection. And he's got (laughs) four and a half sacks this year. I really like the way he has looked. I wonder if he has it in him. I wonder if he has it in him to take over a game for a series at a time. I don't know if he's there yet, but I do think you like a lot about what you see. I love the Michigan Ohio state factor, kind of the the subplot here. And I think he's going to be a force not only on Sunday, which I think the bears will have to find ways to account for him on third downs, especially, but he's going to be a guy that is going to make his presence felt in this uh, divisional rivalry moving forward.
4: Impressive kid. I don't know what the prop bet odds would have been on Aiden Hutchinson intercepting Aaron Rodgers on a pass intended for David Bakhtiari in the <laughs> end zone.
2: <laughs>
4: Probably would have been like plus 300,000 on that on that scenario. And that's a, a pretty cool way to make your mark. Uh, look, the motor on that guy is, 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 is really special. And the Bears are going to have to be aware of that. The Bears are feeling really good about their current offensive line construction it seems like riley reef is now going to be your starting right tackle uh going forward Larry boran's been out of the concussion protocol for a full week and and it it looks like it's reef's job to keep there and so now you got cody whitehair back you got reef in there which luke getze said on thursday that that reef just is healthier now than he was at the start of training camp coming off the injury last year and so they feel good about the direction that's headed and so uh at least maybe you think you've got some 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 ways to slow down guys like Hutchinson and and keep that within them reach.
3: Can you explain that one? Reef is a guy that replaces Boreham, and it, I heard the same type of uh, kind of not certainty, but they're leaning that way. Larry Boreham also could play the left side. Do they feel better about the development of Braxton Jones than they do Larry Born?
4: Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. Is, is hundred percent. Uh, unquestionably is that unquestioned? Okay. Yeah, it is. And Braxton Jones is, yeah. I mean, for, for this kid, like we may get to the end of the year and, and have to talk about this more at length, just in terms of what his rise was from January 1st until, you know, what will be December 31st in terms of just coming from Southern Utah and then climbing your way up and, and getting picked by the bears on, on day three and then coming to camp and earning a starting job and then holding it down, having some rough moments, but being able to steady yourself through those rough moments on a weekly basis to earn trust from people around you. Look, there's still going to be some rough moments. There's no question about it, but they, they feel very good about where that's headed. Uh, and and hopefully we get to the end of the year saying, look, like you don't have to go out and use some of the resources you have available to you to try to find a, a new starting left tackle.
3: They're helping him more. And I guess he is reducing the rough moments. I guess I'm just a little bit surprised that it's that definitive and obvious at this point of the season, because there was a point in time a couple of weeks ago, I wasn't sure what direction it was trending. I do think there's a lot of value in a new regime and a new general manager and having a draft pick like that pan out because we talk all the time about rookie quarterback contracts, if you can have a guy at left tackle and he is your rookie that you're going to develop into a starter over the next several seasons, then you're going to be able to allocate those resources elsewhere. I don't know that I'm there yet, Dan, as far as you maybe uh, are, but, but I think it's something that offers the bears a great opportunity. If he continues to play well, that's
4: fair. That's fair.
3: Um, wanted you to get into uh, Amon Ra St. Brown, brother <laughs> Tan, the brother of uh, Equinemius St. Brown on the Bears. Very funny story. They have something riding on this season, and they go head-to-head on Sunday at Soldier Field.
4: Yeah, a little bet before the season, Equinemius Ra got together, said, hey, my team's going to win more team more games than your team. Okay, want to bet? Yes, want to bet. Equinemius St. Brown revealed us today in the locker room, $1,000. Thousand bucks that the Bears would finish with a better record than the Lions, and as he said afterwards, we're leading right now. Well, not by much, right? It's it's two and six against three and six, and so it's a half game lead that could flip really quickly with the result of Sunday's game. Uh, but obviously, a really cool moment—they played against each other twice last year when Equinemius was still with the Packers. They get to do so for a third time Sunday at Soldier Field. Amon-Ra is obviously having the better season. He's got 39 catches, 399 yards, and three touchdowns compared with EQ's 11, 164, and one. But they don't take this for granted, and and it'll be interesting to see where this goes. Like, you know, Equinemius St. Brown held a little session in his locker Thursday afternoon, and and obviously we talked a lot about his brother, but then we also talked about the drop he had on fourth down, right? And so uh, he said, look, it's just a straight drop, and it won't happen again, I promise. Well, promises only go so far, right? And if Byron Pringle is going to be reactivated off an injured reserve as expected before kickoff on Sunday, somebody's got to get bumped out of the way, right? And if it's Equinemius-St. Brown potentially inactive on Sunday, potentially in a reduced role on Sunday, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. But obviously, the the sibling storyline is notable for now, and that bet is notable, and it'll be really interesting to see kind of how this plays out.
3: Yeah, we had the Fullers going head to head against each other in recent years, right? Kyle Fuller and his brother, Kyle um, and
4: Chris Long.
3: Think about the that. Back in the day. Remember that one? There was even a fight in St. Louis. <laughs> they had to be broken up. I remember that little uh, kerfuffle. I- I'm surprised. Not, I mean, I'm Andre Saint Brown is a guy that you didn't expect to be coming in. I didn't think he'd be leading the Lions in receptions and yards. I mean, he's, their, he's their leading receiver right now. Yeah, right? And he's
4: missed. He's missed. Yeah, he is. And he's missed some time with injuries. He's had a really big game in week two and, and and he's got that big play potential. He's a fast guy. He can do things uh, vertically, right? Like they, they're going to get him some opportunities deep down the field and they're going to run some option routes with them. Uh, he did have a 58 yard run this season as well. They don't, they don't run him a lot, but he can but uh, get loose in that regard. He, too. He's
3: smaller than his brother. He's six feet. He's more compact. EQ is six five and a bigger target. It just interesting Interesting how they are different stylistically and certainly in different places for the respective teams with Amon Rock going to be a guy at the focal point of this passing game at Soldier Field and the of St. Brown might not even be in uniform so let's do the math Dan who's who you got you got Mooney you got Claypool you've got Pettish. Pettis
4: who else I mean, EQ would be would be in that mix, and then uh, you've got to figure out with Nikhil Harry.
3: Oh yeah, you have have Nikhil Harry. He's going to play. I think he's head of EQ St. Brown, right?
4: Okay, so then and then you got Pringle, right? And so now now you're now you're playing the numbers game. And that hey, guess what? Third round pick, Phaylus Jones, like. Good luck trying to, to find your way back up this ladder in the near future, right? So, so look, it does get cluttered quickly, and I, I think that there's a, a sense here that competition is going to be good for these guys. They haven't had it because of the the injuries that have ravaged this receiving course since the start of training camp. And so now, as they come back closer to full strength, now all of a sudden you get a little bit of that that dogfight in, in, uh, in practice just to, to, to win opportunity.
3: And let's face it, we're not talking about, you know, the, the picking between the, some of the best receiving, this isn't the best receiving core in the NFL. We're not talking about a tandem and Mooney and um, and Claypool, this, this Swan and Stallworth or anything right. like that. Let's not get carried away. But I think that when you look at what they're look, trying to do in the second half of the season, figure out who's going to be part of the solution, not the problem, kind of weed guys out. These kind of decisions on a weekly basis are interesting. Velas Jones talked about his healthy scratch on Sunday. Uh, Hall saw it as locker today. I saw, and I, and I wondered what you thought about the way he handled it as well as the way that they talked about Khalil Herbert, who also had a very bad mistake on special teams, but we'll be back out there on Sunday. It sounds like against the lions.
4: Yeah. So this may sound cold, but I don't really care as much about how Bayless Jones handles being a healthy scratch as much as I care about him doing something about it. Right. Which means understanding what the coaches are disappointed in. And it's my sense that, that, that some of this is practice stuff, right? Like not knowing where you're supposed to align, not knowing your motions, not knowing the the, the full complexities of, of look, Luke Gutsy says every week, we ask a lot of our wide receivers and tight ends to do a lot of different things, right? That, that give us formational flexibility and, and looks that can throw a defense off expecting one thing and then getting another. And so you have to be on your details at all times. And so sometimes that's a lot for a rookie. Sometimes that's a lot for a third year guy. Sometimes it's a lot for a fifth year guy. And so I think Valus Jones has to understand the volume that he has to take on to earn the trust of this coaching staff. And then again, you know, Matt Eberflus said the other day, like that position is a playmaking position. And when you have a 54-yard pass hit you in the hands and fall to the turf, it's not great. When you When you, on special teams, have dropped a couple punts, muffed a couple punts and lost them, it's not great. And so, look, like this is just not – been a great few months for valus jones starting with the injuries in training camp and leading up to, to all of this stuff and so again like you know again not to sound cold but I, I just i don't really care about the maturity at this point this is a this is a cruel league and, and you need to produce
3: you surprised that herbert's going to be put back out there on the punt team
4: no, I mean, look, like, like that guy's a pro, all right, and he just he just missed an assignment, and it's it's you know it's just something that happens. And uh, that one was an ugly one, though. I, I like rewatched that three times on on Monday morning. It was like, what in the world? How do you not even see that, right? Like that's outside to in, and you just got to make sure you get a body on that guy. And it just it was just a uh, just a miss.
3: Interesting point. I talked to Dave Wansett on our show on Tuesday on the Mullen Haw show. I said if David Montgomery is your best pass protector as your running back, and he's better than Khalil Herbert, who. Clearly has issues blocking, as we just were reminded on the on the punt. Why not play David Montgomery instead of Herbert in that spot because he's a better blocker? Would you do that with your number one running back? And he was like, hey, whatever. If he can block, he's gonna play. He doesn't <laughs> care. I mean, he and he had examples of guys who were his number one running back playing on special teams. So is that I, I don't know if that's a possibility, but it, it did cross my mind.
4: I mean, I don't think it's a, a, a major thought process here, but I don't I don't have any problems with the suggestion. I think these guys right now are like one and one A, right? Like there's not a yeah. whole a, a whole lot distinguishing them as your top back and your second back. And so whatever helps you whatever helps you you get closer to winning, right? That's an important situation.
3: Okay, last couple of things real quick. So what did you make of the whole conversation if Lucas even addressed it? But I think it was a conversation outside of House Hall more so as as we tend to do in Chicago, getting a little carried away. <laughs> if Luke Getzey has success, then all of a sudden he will become a head coaching candidate. I think it was Ryan Poles, uh, it was pointed out that he talked about that coming up, that has come up, it came up during the interview process. Matt Eberflus had a plan for that, if that is the case. To me, Dan, we'll continue to look at this, monitor it that's not a bad problem. That is one that it would be a good problem for the bears. To have
4: to. No, look, and there were people, uh, you, you know, that, that initially that premise of Luke gets leaving here after one season with the 32nd ranked passing offense, it seems outlandish. And then you say, well, wait a second, like Luke gets interviewed for head coaching job last year with the Denver Broncos. And so he's, he's in the, he's in the mix. And so now if you do magical things with Justin Fields and the bears offense, and you awaken them from a team that couldn't reach 20 points ever to a team that's scoring North of 30 every week, week you're going to get some looks right and and when there's seven eight nine hud coaching open openings every year somebody's going to give you an interview and and all it takes is one team to fall in love with you right as as many many coaches over the years have found out mark Trestman, nathaniel hackett whoever else you want to name on the list you know the luke's, luke's an impressive guy and i like literally watching that game back on monday and seeing some of the things that offense was doing i was like this guy's going to be a head coach at some point. One day. Is, it, is it in 2023? Is it right. in 2025? Is it in 2026? I don't Eventually. know, but he, he's going to be a head coach at some yeah. point. And I'm very confident in that. And you can save this audio and pull it back if I'm, if I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, it could, it could happen now again to your, your topic about Ryan polls talking, um, about the secession plan, right? Because I think that was important. I went back and looked and I, this was even before gets, was hired, I believe. And it was, involved with the idea of you're hiring a defensive minded head coach to oversee the development of a quarterback. What happens if you bring in an offensive coordinator, the Adam Gase type that comes in for a year and then jumps to the head coaching job? And he said, look, like we had those discussions with Matt Eberflus and he laid out a plan for, okay, if this happens, this happens. If this happens, this happens. And so they feel very confident that no matter what happens at the end of the season, they've got options and they've got connections and they've got ideas on how to how to shake things up. I still, particularly with the way Justin's playing and the way quarterback development league, this league goes, you don't, is it a good problem to have? Maybe, but you, you, you would love, love, love to preserve continuity because you see what happens for great quarterbacks when they have three or four years of, of continuity with the system and, and you're not have, having to relearn things and start over and build relationships and build bonds and do all those things. So anything they can do to keep Luke in an oversight role of Justin beyond this season would be wonderful.
3: And if he- leaves, I mean, it's not like they're going to go out and find an offensive coordinator and a former quarterback who has no coaching experience because that never happens in the NFL, <laughs> right? Wait,
4: wait. Yeah, next I mean, yeah, like you. A Dan Graziano maybe could come in from ESPN. And, <laughs> I mean, it seems like we're just trying anything now in the NFL.
3: Well, let's, that leads me to the next topic <laughs> I wanted to get to. So, obviously, uh, Matt Eberflues having come from Indianapolis, Frank Reich fired this week. The big story around the league, Jim Mersey. Goes rogue and and hires Jeff Saturday as the interim head coach. Jeff Saturday, no coaching experience, um, and there he is. He's going to be this week facing the Raiders. Um, and Matt Eberflus was talk was asked about it. He expressed his regrets over Frank Reich, his friend who he worked with and had success with, but he did not want to talk about <laughs> Jeff
4: Saturday. Did that surprise you? Uh, no, it's particularly publicly right on that on that platform. It's hard to. Um, you know, say something quickly and eloquently that doesn't become a soundbite that everybody's playing everywhere. Right. So I think they were very, very careful. Uh, there's a lot of coaches in this building that have some experience in Indianapolis. We talked to linebackers coach, Dave Borgonzi, uh, this evening, on Thursday evening, mostly about Jack Sanborn, but we brought up the topic of the, the Indianapolis thing, and he, like Iberflus, he didn't say a lot, but his body language said everything. It was clear that it was like, whoo, whatever's going on in Indy is wacko, right? Like, that—that that is something that, uh, you know, you can say nothing in this league surprises me, but certain things surprise you, and when when the things that have happened in Indy over the last few weeks have have happened the way they have, it's, it's, it's wild, man, and, and it's hard to know which direction they go. I think, specifically, it's just like, it's November 10th now, Right. And this move happened on November 8th. How do you suddenly come in off a TV set on? Well, I don't even know the name of the show in the morning anymore. Get up, right? It's the get up that that Jeff Saturday was on. And all of a sudden it's
3: the competition. So I'm not interested.
4: Now, now you're leading. Now you're, (laughs) now you're leading a group of coaches. You're leading a group of players. There's, there's nothing built in, right? There's no familiarity. There's no connection built in. And you're nine games into a season. I just, I just, I don't know how this is going to be functional. This weekend, right? It just doesn't have, it Make any sense to me how it's going to be functional.
3: So last thing for me, let me ask you this. George McCaskey comes to you with (laughs) the inspiration. He says, Dan, if I had to get an ex-player with no coaching experience to be the interim guy under different circumstances, who would be your ex-bear that you would give the next eight games to as an interim head coach?
4: I mean, does, does the obvious answer count? What's the obvious answer? Josh McCown. <laughs> he's one oh, of my, love oh, him though. He's one of yeah, my favorite okay. people in all football, That's I, think, true. Okay. I think he's qualified. That's a good so, That's a good so one. yeah, I mean, I'll call Josh right now and say, ask him if he wants to do it. I don't even care if there's an opening. I'll see if we can get him here and and and, and you, lead you, this. You would
3: you'd arrange a book deal for him, and then you would call him. <laughs> Absolutely.
4: I think because he would be a
3: guy that you could at least like they're doing an indie they're justifying and rationalizing a lot well you know what he's as smart as a player has come through here besides peyton manning josh mccown is a guy that has been groomed and and talked about in those terms so that that's not a bad one i would it's go, not jimmy
4: clausen i'll tell you that
3: no it's not jimmy clausen <laughs> and
4: it certainly isn't jay cutler
3: um i'd, go patrick, manley. I'd go patrick manley okay I'd go the I'd go the Duke route, the former uh, long snapper. I would go Patrick Manley because of the cerebral nature of it. He's a leader. He just played. Imagine the craft beer in the press room. Um, there would be all kinds of perks, <laughs> Patrick
4: Manley. <laughs> Some long over. snapper IPA in the fridge. I like that idea. The there other one. No, I'll give go. you another one. Just totally wild. But let's go to the movie set in Hollywood and let's get Thomas Jones back here. That's.
3: That's an inspired. Choice. They could do like a movie on it. They could do like a documentary on the Bears, or they like, could do whatever they want. He would I- he could play the part.
4: I know. I listen. I know you like Thomas Jones as much as I like Thomas Jones. That guy inspires, right? And he's got, yeah. he's got, he's got a very uh, infectious energy about him in a way that, that he's like, one of on that 2006 Super Bowl team. The guys love that guy. And so I, I, like I think he could resonate with players too. So that's my, that's my, you, my, that's my runner up choice. If Josh okay. wants to stay watching his sons, uh, play football in their college days.
3: Coordinator, assistant head coach. I bet you people out there <laughs> might have some choices. If you do, let us know on Twitter at TakeTheNorthPod. We'll end up, uh, retweeting and getting a kick out of your submissions and uh this was a lot of fun anything else before we break up here dan because sunday on the lakefront lions bears are all ready to roll
4: two last things i thought it was very notable that alan williams when asked if anyone on his defense took a step forward last week quickly said jack sanborn and said in his first start he looked like he belonged they feel very good about the way he was assignment sound running to the football tackling reliably there was a lot of things that he showed in his his first start that gave the coaching staff a lot of confidence so that's something to keep an eye on as we go forward because obviously this is an undrafted rookie out of wisconsin via lake zurich high that is trying to make his name for himself and and, and a good start uh there the, the second thing is i have just can't get past the image of studs sitting at the bar with Dan Campbell and telling, <laughs> him, telling him that the lions suck. I really want, like, I just like, I, I I would love to watch this play out and just see what the, what the banter would be and, and whether studs would come back to the next episode to take the North with his kneecaps.
3: That would, that would be awesome. Hey, hey and think about Sanborn. I got to say this. I, I love the kid. I love watching him and I, I like the way he plays and his instincts are really top notch, but if he is the guy that stands out <laughs> is that the good news or the bad
4: news? It's probably the bad news, honestly. Yeah, yeah, you need playmakers. You need playmakers. There need to be playmakers. We can't be coming back here next week with zero combined sacks and takeaways. We can't be doing it. Can't be doing it.
3: And Studs has the last word chiming in. Give me enough beers and he'll do it.
4: (laughs) it (laughs) Let's go go get some of that long snapper IPA and turn Studs loose.
3: There you go. Thank you for joining us on this episode. Episode 26 of the Take the North podcast. You can get it on your Odyssey app or wherever you Get your podcast. We will be back Sunday night with our instant reaction to Bears and Lions on the Lakefront. Thank you for listening. For Dan Wiederer and Adam Sadzinski, who's at the bar with Dan Campbell.
4: <laughs> I'm David Haw. Thanks for watching. Great talk. See you out there.